We are the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. Hello again and welcome back, podcast enthusiasts and Star Trek fans, to episode three of this second series of the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. This series, of course, being the one in which we deal with the Borg and advanced AI. And we're back dealing with the Borg this week, as you can probably see on your screen, as we uh, we and the Queen hunt down Unimatrix Zero. Uh, but we'll get into that a bit later. First of all, uh, as always, I don't do this on my own. I'm always joined by a guest, as you know. And uh, it's a first-time guest again this week, uh, a guest I've been communicating with for a while, hoping to try and lure onto the show. <laughs> uh, and as always, I'm going to let uh, my guest introduce herself. So there we go. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I am Adrian, and I am excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Adrian was a little nervous of being on the show, so be kind, podcast listeners. <laughs> I know you always are, but uh, yeah, we've yeah. Uh, been communicating back and forth, and uh, I know you know your stuff when it comes to Star Trek, particularly um, Next Gen DS9 and Voyager. Is that right? Yes, mostly DS, DS9 and Voyager. I got completely addicted right. for about five years there, could get out of it, and it was just a wonderful place to be trapped. <laughs> That's fair enough. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of what lured you to track then was the DS9 Voyager uh, era. We oh, say. Yeah. Well, yeah, sort awesome. of because um, that's when I was kind of like, uh, you know, fancy free, as it were. And I had, uh, you know, back in the days and you, you had used VHS cassettes and I'd put them <laughs> in and there would be the premiere of Deep Space Nine or Voyager. And I would like write the name on the sticky label. But it was actually <laughs> my grandmother way back in the day who um, when I was just a wee lass and I'm going to be aging myself because uh, it was like the 70s and we would be in her living room. She'd be watching all kinds of shows, but then Star Trek would come on. And yeah. uh, we would just sit and watch Star Trek, and I was just a little kid, and I, it was so interesting to me. And she'd talk about the things that were going on and everything. So yeah, I think it's oh, Grandma's awesome. fault. And then as I grew up, um, I got pretty excited about Next Gen, but it was sort of, you know, they were okay. I watched all of them, and I liked them all. But man, when the later series came out, I was all excited about them, and it was so there was so much darkness in the other oh. two shows. So I mean. I think that's fair enough. Yeah. Oh, that's fair enough. Excellent. Um, for once, I don't feel like the oldest person on the podcast then, because normally... I don't think you I... are. <laughs> no way. <laughs> normally, uh, when I describe that when in the, the days when I used to save babysitting money to buy a videotape with two episodes on, people just <laughs> seem to be so confused by the very concept. <laughs> but that's it. Yeah, well, that's enough reminiscing over my shared, uh, shared oldness and the pain in my back. <laughs> but we'll uh, get started uh, if... Uh, all right. Yeah, if that's uh, okay with you, I'm going to jump straight into the first section, because uh, as I said, the podcast is broken down into sections. If uh, you're a regular listener, you will know. Uh, I've been over all this with Adrienne. Uh, so yeah, the first section is a getting to know you type thing, and it's a section that I call Hailing Frequencies Open. Hailing Frequencies Open, sir. Okay, well, I'm, like I have said, I, I am um, just excited to be here. I'm a huge podcast person. So okay. um, just discovering, you know, typing in on my podcast player, Star Trek, 
And that's how I found you. You know, so I'm a real huge podcast person and um, I have other podcasts I listen to about other things. But I'd say this is my main one for um, Star Trek. That's awesome. A lot of people haven't sort of listened to it before they come on, but it's good to know that you've been sort of a fan and you've at least listened to uh, a few beforehand. So you kind of know vaguely what to expect. Uh, So you'll probably know that this section begins then if you're a new uh, contributor to the podcast by asking you... uh, the big question, if you had to pick three episodes or movies from anywhere in the Star Trek franchise uh, that you think represent the very best and all that you would use to try to dr- uh, draw a new viewer into Star Trek to sort of uh, put the best foot forward, what would be the three stories, shall we say, that you would pick to show someone? Oh, limiting my brain to three is just, I'm going <laughs> to say diabolically evil on your on your side, but I'll say... Um, if this person is totally new to Star Trek, then um, I would start them off with uh, the trouble with Tribbles because oh, okay. it's funny. It introduces uh, the original series. It introduces all of our favorites and they're doing things. They're not just stuck on a bridge. And um, it introduces the Klingons, right? But you don't really see what the Klingons look like because he's a uh, oh, no, human. There's quite a bit, a human. Uh, yeah. quite a bit of Klingons in there still, though, because I'm. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, the guy, yeah, that's true. That's true, of course. But the, the guy, the, like, it kind of introduces, um, like, a surgical, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, in the future, they could take this alien race and make them look human. But yeah. To be fair, though, it's the original series, so the Klingons just look like humans with yeah, beards anyway. They, they don't, right? They don't look like Worf. I guess you know they're they're not. Really, but hey, the '60s. I mean, yeah. Oh, but yeah. anyway, okay. So first one would be trouble with Tribbles because um, yeah. you get to meet the original series people, and then you get to meet the Klingons. So. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one was. I think it's a very well structured story as well. Sorry to interrupt oh, you, but it's such a uh, great one, yeah. and it's <laughs> funny and happy and cheerful. So it's not all spacey. Yes, there's exactly, like yeah. these creatures, and Uhura is like, oh look, you know what I mean. <laughs> and then there's the guy with all the alcohol. So I mean, it's just a fun, oh, fun place to there's be. Some great right? physical comedy in there that there you would is, really. Think. Oh, I know the guy. He walks through and he doesn't want to spill it. I mean, you know, and then the guy just takes it. Off. And the guy takes it, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, what's not to love about that being the first episode that a brand new person to Star Trek would like? Um, That's a good choice. The next one would be iBorg. Uh, oh, okay, from uh, next one. Yeah, it is going to introduce Picard and crew, but I love this episode so much it touches my heart because um, – of course, you know, there's a little hurt Borg and they tr- everybody does their best to try to save him. You know, the regular people that you would think would save him, the doctor, she's going to do her thing and Jordy's going to do his engineering thing. But you get to see that Picard is kind of wounded, like he's not mm. real happy about finding this this borg and then you're gonna well why isn't he because he's such a great captain he's represents the federation he's like make it so and all this stuff then you're interested and maybe that go back and watch um best of both worlds so interesting yeah because and then you get something with this what happened with this guy this is so interesting so also the, the guest acting 
because Jonathan Delacro is so great too. And Guinan mm. is there. And we always see Guinan as very ethereal. She knows everything, blah, blah, blah. Guinan is really mad that this work is on, is there, right? Mm. So that kind of is intriguing for everybody. So I think it's one of those episodes that would make you think more about the big picture of next gen. So then maybe this person who would now want to watch next generation. Because also Guinan's um, Generations, right? And she's, mm. you know, there's just so much her character. She's really interesting. It's a sweet scene as well when he's explaining that, like, part of the appeal of the collective is do you never sort of get lonely without being connected? And he says, well, that's why we have friends. And then uh, when when uh, he ha- sort of heartbreakingly just says, oh, like Geordie and Hugh. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, this yeah, little kid's just discovering friendship. I know. We love him. I mean, in the end wanted a little fuzzy hue doll like for you know my house like to sit here with me and hang out excellent and uh, what about your third choice then okay the third one (laughs) i'm bringing it back baby i'm taking them back to the triple world with trials and tribulations because (laughs) i love this episode and i don't i want this person to be interested in all of star trek right so trials and tribulations is like the future of trial of um trouble with tribbles and it also introduces Cisco and the whole deep space nine world so this new person is excited to watch trials and tribulations maybe they'll be interested in watching deep space nine as well so that's kind of my little or, plan. Or at least the animated my plan for this person. <laughs> right, those are good too. Well, Star Trek threads everywhere because if they like the character of Hugh, they might discover that he's in Star Trek Picard and then think, oh, I wonder if I can go straight to that and see what Hugh's up to later. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> so, oh, I know, boy. That, with, I was so excited when I, I saw that Hugh was coming back and that uh, Seven of Nine was coming back. Oh, that's such good television. I just love writers in general. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah, that's fair enough. So um, that's three good choices there, I think, uh, of episodes, as you said, because they can also branch into other places in the Trek universe. Um, and so the other sort of big question, um, we know you're kind of more into the uh, sort of d- next gen but especially ds9 and voyager area but if you had to go into your head pick one series that you would say is your favorite or the best out of all of the series of the franchise what would it be deep space nine i think is the most <laughs> layered and i i like nice. lots of intriguing characters like garrick oh okay yeah. okay fair enough uh yeah, DS9 and Next Gen seem to be the most popular answers, but yeah, so Deep Space Nine, excellent. Um, yeah, and for all the same reasons that most people say that it's it's one intriguing interwoven story and the characters are complex and everything, so they I are. can believe it. <laughs> I could agree with that. So, um, yeah, weirdly, we're not reviewing a DS9 episode. Yeah, and the writers are so great. What I'll do then, I'll move us on to the next section, uh, which is the section that gives the podcast its name, and that's the section that I call Hit or Miss. What about my performance? I'm not a drama critic. Uh, excuse me. 
Um, so yeah, if, if you don't know how this works, which I'm sure you probably do if you've watched the episodes, but basically I will throw out um, just random things from the Star Trek universe uh, and ask you as my guest if you think it's a hit or a miss uh, and the reasons as to why you've kind of come to that conclusion and we can debate back and forth if we disagree. Um, yeah, and uh, because we're covering a two-part episode today, uh, I'll try and keep it to only four or five things just for the sake of time. Uh, so is that all okay? Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. I awesome. Think. Awesome. <laughs> so uh, the first thing on the list then for today uh, is a piece of technology, and it is the uh, com badges, which began, I think, in Next Generation. Would you say they're a hit or a miss? Well, I like them because you can communicate with each other. They, and then you wear them like, right, like a little pretty medallion, and they can get stolen. <laughs> People think, you know, you can hide it from somebody if you want to, like, go on a walk, you can put your combat somewhere. They're great. I used to actually have one. I bought one a long time ago. Um, and literally, just like in the movie, it got smashed in the garage. So, like, oh, you know, no combat way. just always gets smashed. And I know. It feels <laughs> like this is totally apropos into a real combat. You should check it's not emitting a distress signal. It's just a Federation ship turns up <laughs> wondering why you're in danger. <laughs> I no, I, uh, I agree with you. <laughs> It'll be funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, I, uh, I completely agree with you. I think the com badges are great. I like the old-fashioned communicators with the like little flip phone-type technology. Um, but, yeah, I think the com badges are just a really cool because you find yourself copying it, as you, as you said, just tapping your chest and everything. Um, and it looks really cool because it's the, a chance to get the yeah. Starfleet Star Trek logo in on the uniform. Um, the only thing that ever used to confuse me mm -hmm. is how it knows who you're kind of wanting to talk to immediately and doesn't just contact the entire sort of ship because it seems to recognize if you just say, oh, Picard to Riker, then it's only going to talk to Riker. And I'm like, that's some pretty advanced tech that they never really do explain, do they? But yeah, we'll forgive it, I guess. Oh, that's true, yeah. Similar to how the computer knows when you're actually trying to address it and when you're just saying the word computer. Whereas if it was anything like our kind of technology today, every time they said the word, the Starfleet computer would just be like, yes, I am listening. I'm active. What would you like? <laughs> oh, that'd be funny. That's next. That's the knowledge where the computer like just looks at you and says, what would you like today? <laughs> as long as it's got Majel Barrett's voice, I'll be all for it. So <laughs> uh, uh, that's fair enough. Mm -hmm. uh, so the second thing on my list today is an episode of Next Generation. Uh, hopefully it's an episode that you've seen and you may be familiar with. Uh, it is the episode called Peak Performance. Uh, are you aware of that one? <laughs> mm, you have to review it. Is it from the first season? I think it's the second season, but yeah, it's the episode where basically the Enterprise... Okay, uh, okay. The Enterprise engages in war games with, I think, the Hathaway is the name of it. It's an old constellation class ship like the Stargazer, and it's just basically Picard facing Riker in a simulated battle. Uh, type situation. <laughs> um, that's about the extent of what I can remember I about it. Do, I think, at I, this point, I do remember. I do remember that Riker was finally challenged in the early seasons um, to do something without a card. But I didn't watch a lot of the episodes if they focused on Riker, especially at the beginning of the next gen, because. I'm not that huge of a Riker fan from back then, but um, he got better as everything went on. Okay. Cool. I didn't get to watch yeah, yeah, peak well, performance enough to remember it. 
What a fail. That's fair I enough. Um, that's okay. Though. <laughs> I remember it being quite good, but all I can, uh, all I can remember is Riker kind of trying to outsmart uh, Picard and this kind of uh, arrogant alien strategist that he had on his ship and everything. And uh, yeah, and then ultimately beating him. I think Data beating him at a game of some kind of video game type thing at the end. My memory's equally weird. But yeah. With the fingers? <laughs> Again, I'll have to. The fingers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah, guy so had the things that. on his fingers. Okay, yeah. That, that yes. Alien guy kind of bugged me because he was obnoxious yeah yeah definitely he was very pompous <laughs> that could be why okay that could be why i never went back to that episode once that i remember at the very end the thing with the wires coming out of the fingers i'm like ah, this guy's so arrogant mm -hmm. that's a good word for him. <laughs> so so maybe you find it a miss because you just didn't like Riker or the uh, the alien chap in the episode then <laughs> I think the That's mix fair. of those two yeah. folks, like Riker being all cocky and like, you know, Riker coming to the rescue. And then the obnoxious I was like, next episode, please. <laughs> I'll just leave this one alone. That's fair enough. Yeah. I just, I think I remember finding it to be a hit because I just love that um, everyone kind of gets their comeuppance at the end. And I think it was satisfying when this guy that was like, no one can beat me. And then he faces Data, who's an android, and just absolutely schools him at this game and he storms off in a huff, which is the part oh. I specifically remember. But, yeah. I love Data. Uh, uh, and Data wouldn't have like intentionally been mean or anything. It would have just been totally no, logical no. that Data would win, you know? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Just like facing a machine, but uh, awesome. That's fair enough. Uh, okay, I'll move on to the next thing then, and this is a character who encompasses uh, all of the series you like, uh, and that is the character of Q. And by that, I of course mean the most famous Q, played by John Delancey, since they're all called Q. <laughs> right. Oh, I loved episodes with John Delancey because he's so campy, and you know he steals every scene if if john delancey's there he is stealing that scene and i i loved how he played all this stuff and it was you know fine and dandy and all the drama that he caused in next generation though some of the funny wharf things especially i'm not a merry man i love that but when he came to deep space nine and cisco punched him oh <laughs> that was yeah that was really good because uh that just basically showed all of us how how different Cisco is. Uh, than yeah, Picard. And Cisco just bellowing, "I'm not Picard." Yeah, yeah <laughs> there you go. Very true. Yeah, I love Q. I love how he was at the beginning and he was at the end, and he caused a bunch of drama. Then he had uh, a child with another Q, and there's all this craziness. And the child comes back to Voyager, and that, I loved that whole thing. I I love that really they actually. They had John Delancey's actual real-life son playing his son in the Voyager episode. Yeah, well. and how fun must that have been? Like when the cameras mm. weren't rolling, you know, father and son probably entertaining. And I loved how uh, the other younger Q develop a relationship with Echeb. And mm. then he's like, itchy. <laughs> I loved all that <laughs> stuff. I thought that was real Absolutely. cute. <laughs> oh, that's great. And um, just out of curiosity, are you uh, excited for the CPQ Q in Picard series too? Or you're not so yes, up with the news? I am. I am. I I have not seen. I've only watched. Um, we. I've only watched a little bit of Picard to where we're just catching up with Jerry Ryan's character. So I don't right. even really know what, what happened there. So I, I'm, I still have to finish watching. But yes, I'm excited to see Q. 
yeah, me too. I think uh, you're absolutely right. But I'm going to agree with you and say a complete hit because John Delancey is just a fabulous actor and it's amazing that he, he runs the gamut from kind of absolute menace that you are terrified of from uh, that first episode that he's into like slight mischief to like he's actually helping you eventually by the time of Voyager and uh, it never seems like it's it's inconsistent characterization it just always seems right and it's always played exactly perfectly so yeah and as you say just good casting isn't it really <laughs> awesome. it really is good casting and good writing Definitely, yeah, 100%. Um, awesome. Uh, okay, I'm going to move to the next thing on the list for today then, uh, number four, and it's an episode of Voyager, uh, which again, I'm hoping you remember. <laughs> uh, and it's the episode called Unity from season three. It's the official first time the Borg were in Voyager. Would you say it's a hit or a miss? Um, I remember liking Unity, but I didn't keep watching it, which might... Mm mean to me that i had seen enough the first time right right right. so i would Could call it maybe the middle because certain episodes i watch over and over i basically have the dialogue memorized but um yeah remind me a little bit about unity well it's just kind of i remember being excited because we'd had the brief tease in the previous episode that the borg were involved and were coming into voyager finally uh, so I do remember there was a lot of excitement as I was kind of watching live at the time. Uh, and the episode itself was fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It was just unusual because it was all about a bunch of disconnected uh, ex-Borg, I guess. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of Borg action in it apart from the Doctor examining a Borg corpse. <laughs> oh, yeah. They found the miscellaneous, but they weren't connected. Yeah, I should. Yeah, I it was an interesting concept that could have... They, they should have done more with the idea that there was like, well, we're, since we're now individuals, we're all warring and the Klingons are fighting the Cardassians and everything, and we want to try and form a little miniature collective. But then the idea and the morality behind that would be a fascinating thing to explore, but they just don't. It's just kind of, it happens, they manipulate Chakotay, which is a bad sign anyway, and then just find themselves formed oh, yeah. into a little collective at the end. And I was kind of like, that's a very okay. weird ending. Yes. I remember this episode now because I just used my Google machine and I remember that this was pretty good because this was the episode I loved these actors and the Chakotay kind of likes the one woman or she likes him like for a little while. Oh, they have a this thing going, yeah. This was kind of a heavy, yeah, this was kind of heavy. Um, I just, yeah, I didn't. I'm surprised I didn't remember it when you said it, but yeah, looking at the pictures, see, that's how old I am, um, makes me go back to all of them. And some of this, I remember the one tall guy was kind of wise, kind of a calm Borg. Yeah, and he and was then, a Romulan yeah. as well, which was really surprising. Yeah, he yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that I remember now. Yeah, I kind of liked this one, but um, these are the pre um, seven of nine episodes and i yes. think once we got seven of nine i was like okay voyager was good but now they're really doing some good writing but okay. i actually really like that yeah that was a good episode unity yeah um, i'm gonna say i would say it was a soft hit i don't think i would call it a miss and i remember liking it because it was the borg and it was a fascinating mm -hmm. concept but i do really wish they'd explored a little bit more rather than just ending on these people are always going to be pretty immoral as they've already shown by manipulating Chakotay and yet yeah, it's ending yeah. like well there you go <laughs> uh, 
Oh yeah, yeah. What if we were all connected and we all had a, uh, we all had our separate missions and we were just in our little mini collectives, sort of like a family, but scary, scarier. Yeah, but I also think it would be really. They never really explored the um, the kind of ethical consideration about the fact that these people didn't have a choice, so they were getting attacked mm -hmm. by these people that were like at war with them, and it's just like, no, we're gonna emit the signal and connect all of our minds to stop them from fighting us. And I was like, they don't have a choice in this. It's a bit sort of, yeah, oof, true. You know? yeah. at that point, you're, you're basically just the Borg again, really, aren't you? So, but, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so that would say a slightly soft hit with me, but um, I wish they'd done mm -hmm. more. And I think it was a hit. So there you yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um, dark, dark hit. Excellent. Uh, I'm going to do one more then for uh, the hit or miss for this week. Uh, and it's something that which ties into the idea of the Borg and Voyager and everything. Uh, and that is Species 8472. Would you say they're a hit or a miss? Okay. Species 8472 completely freaked me out when we first met them. And that <laughs> sort of, you know, ex kind of intrigued me. And I was like, this is something completely new. Fluidic space. Mm. Right, and all that they mind connected with Keth. So I am not a fan of that, but I think that that was bringing him something completely different like that. I think that I think that worked out for me. Okay, so yeah, you obviously yeah, you don't like them as kind of a menace or whatever, but you think it was yeah, they're not. I don't want them as neighbors. Like, yeah, <laughs> right. I just think it was a, it was hinting to bring them in, and I love the whole idea of fluidic space and all their all their treachery and all the bad stuff that they did. Yeah, that was kind of cool. I agree with you. I think um, I know what you what you're saying in terms of it's good that they tried something different because it was the first time we'd done a completely CGI alien because every alien obviously was like humanoid and just looked like us with makeup on and it was the first time it was something really weird this spindly sort of three-legged creature that doesn't mm -hmm. look like anything we're familiar with and that was yeah, really cool kind of like a xenomorph <laughs> yeah a little bit yeah yeah uh, there is a bit of xenomorph and i think it's because we we are drawn to things that are so different as, as being scarier and that worked really well um and i love everything about the way they're presented in scorpion their first two-parter um oh, yeah. but controversially i would still have to uh, i would still have to call the species as a whole a miss because they did a complete 180 the voyager writers on what they were because in the first appearance it's like um as you said kess is getting mental images of like the weak will perish we will destroy your galaxy and then a series or so later in um in the flesh the series five episode it's like no no we were just misunderstood we're trying to infiltrate you and we like these human forms and things now it's like that's just ridiculous these aren't the same characters that anymore was, um, um, oh yeah that was far-fetched right that was special right. yeah. i could write it off that those were rogue species eight four seven two folks there was that's the true i one. guess but uh, <laughs> it's just uh, it's a shame they didn't uh didn't deliver on on the promise of Scorpion because I still remember how cool it was that these kind of the Borg at that point was still absolutely unstoppable and you know a single mm -hmm. cube was a cause for panic and then that opening teaser of Scorpion when it's like three cubes advancing and then they just get blown straight out of the sky mm -hmm. and I'm like wow that was <laughs> what was that <laughs> but, uh, yeah it would have been cool yeah, to see a shocking. bit more of that agreed mm, definitely. But, uh, yeah, there is a brief mention of Species 8472 in uh, the episode we're reviewing, actually, bizarrely enough. <laughs> Very slight, but it is there um, that they're going to try to recruit them to help in the whole Borg Yeah, they're going to reach out to them for help. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. again, it would have been nice to see this. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah, so that'll probably conclude the, the hit or miss. That was a good little section. I think we had some... Uh, we had an interesting uh, diversity of opinions without losing uh, losing friendship with each other, shall we say. We were able to disagree. So that's good. I like to have a little bit of a, a variation and we like and dislike some things this, uh, that are the same. So that's cool. Um, yeah. So I will jump us to the next section now then. Uh, and that's the bulk of the uh, the review. And that's the, the episode analysis. And I will just say begin analysis. Is the name that's fine. As I mentioned earlier, viewers and listeners, uh, the episode we were looking at this week is the Borg episode Unimatrix Zero, uh, and that's both parts, where, or I'm looking at it at least as a single story, um, because, you know, it is really, even though it's in two parts, so we're looking at the thing overall, and uh, if you will indulge me, uh, listeners, and yourself as well, Adrian, uh, I usually try to start with a few just little fast facts now about the episode, um, but unfortunately there's not a lot of facts that I was able to find about this one, um, there's literally only two, so it shouldn't take very long to get those out of the way. Um, the first one is that this story initially began uh, with the idea of Unimatrix Zero uh, being that Seven of Nine would find that her father, who we've seen previously was assimilated, uh, was the one that she was connecting with in Unimatrix Zero um, and dealing with her being able to try to reestablish that family connection. Um, but along the way, it basically became, it would be more interesting, the writers decided, if it was a romantic connection, and thus uh, Magnus Hansen became the character of Axum in these episodes instead. Mm. So that's what we got. Whether you prefer it or not, we'll see. <laughs> but, <laughs> and uh, the second fact, which is just a little bit of casting, which I never realized, and it seems so weird in retrospect, but... Uh, the actor who plays Axum is an actor called Mark Deakins, who had literally just appeared in Star Trek Insurrection as the character of Tornay, which uh, I can't believe, once you hear it, I'm like, oh yeah, he was in that. And uh, he had previously played a Herogen Hunter as well in The Killing Game. So this is his third Trek appearance and his second in Voyager. Yeah, yeah. yeah he he was kind of a bad guy in the Herogen one, right? Because he... Um... <laughs> He was mad. He didn't want to do the simulations, I think. So he kind of played yeah. a bad guy. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. He kind of goes through the gamut because it starts out with like really bad as the Herogen. And then by the time you get to insurrection, it's kind of neutral, I guess, but not wanting to be oppressed. And then you get to Axum and it's pretty much, you know, most of the time he's a good guy and everything, apart mm -hmm. from when he gets and he becomes a Borg again, obviously. But yeah. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the way that we do these then I'm just going to go through uh, as chronologically as I can and just try to hit on some main points and things that I noted uh, if I skip over anything uh, Adrian that you wanted to kind of go back and mention or you, you wanted to chime in on anything just feel free uh, I will stop and uh, ask you questions or wait for your responses if need be as well um, yeah so are you all ready to go for the review then I am ready yay oh, cool. Uh, yeah, so the episode opens then with um, our view of the Borg Unicomplex, and in case you didn't get uh, the sense of scale, it's big. We see one ship flying through it, and it looks not unlike a lone Volvo climbing Mount Fuji. <laughs> this uh, tiny thing in a massive complex, and we obviously the camera zooms right through to uh, an individual Borg. And this is my very first nitpick of the episode, and it's an incredibly nerdy nitpick. But we zoom in on the Borg's eye as it's uh, regenerating or sleeping, whatever. Um, and its eye is flickering uh, as it's supposedly dreaming. 
But later in the episode, it's established that these people that go to Unimatrix Zero are not reaching REM or REM sleep. So why do their eyes start flicking about like that? It seemed like it was a continuity error to me. I feel like research this whole thing. Like now I have to go in and figure out in the very first scene. <laughs> Uh, what it does it later as well because when seven of nine gets her cortical node or whatever attached and she goes to unimetric zero it does the same it zooms in and shows her eye flickering as if to represent REM sleep but then as I said the doctor specifically says oh she wasn't dreaming she never hit REM sleep and I was like then what's the eye flickering all about <laughs> yeah because the eye flickering back and forth is supposed to mean that humans are in REM sleep so yeah that exactly. is a good yeah. catch <laughs> that is such a nitpick, of course. People are listening to me like, oh, come on, shut up. <laughs> but, yeah. That's okay. A little bit of pedantry is welcome. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, obviously, we get the introduction or reintroduction now of the Borg Queen, played again by the fabulous Susanna Thompson, an actress who I really like. I think she's great. Um, you a fan of the, the Queen and of Susanna Thompson's character? Uh, oh, as the way yeah, she because, uh, oh, yeah. She plays it very different than Alice Craig creech plays plays the queen you know she's less like obviously devious and tree and everything but she's focused on her mission and protecting her drones unless they piss her off then she'll blow them up but um yeah. i love how she she took over that role i think that's great and of course i love her um in the episode of deep space nine when mm -hmm. she is judd c as X. I also think she was, uh, I thought she was great in, if you watch the show, I thought she was great in Arrow's first few seasons, playing the, the Green Arrow's mum. She was pretty good in that role as well. In a, oh, a no, a, I don't, I haven't seen Arrow's. Mm -mm. Yeah, she's quite a morally complex yeah, character. But, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of what you were saying, I remember going through an examination of the Borg. Uh, I think it was as part of a university assessment or something years ago. And I was looking at the two Borg queens, and I think I came to the conclusion that Alice Krieg's version of the Borg Queen is kind of the twisted, evil version of the sexy kind of partner. Um, and I would say that Susanna Thompson's is more like the evil version of the mum, of a maternal character. Um, yeah, she's more maternal. Definitely has that maternal. Uh, and also, it's interesting, in this, in this episode, she has to communicate with a child. Mm -hmm. And she's kind yep. of trying to really be eternal. But... You know, she's still a robot, as it were. <laughs> so yeah. she's sort of a, you know, stiff mom, but she she's definitely less obviously conniving than Alice yeah. played her. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's deliberate. I think that kind of scene exists for a reason, because as I say, I think the Alice Krieg Borg will try to seduce you into the collective, whereas the Susanna Thompson Queen will try to nurture your way into it and be like, no, we're all mm -hmm. friends. We're taking care of yeah. you. <laughs> Never lonely. Come on over. Go, no. Yeah. <laughs> and the the other Borg Queen's just kind of like, I'm going to give you skin and blow on it. Is that good? Do you like oh, it? <laughs> poor Data. Data's just trying to be Pinocchio. You know, he's just living his life. And this crazy lady comes along and blows on his skin. And now he's never going to be the same. <laughs> Speaking of first contact, though, I found it interesting. Um, I don't think it was entirely successful, but it was interesting that they tried to copy the idea of the Borg Queen kind of constructing from parts, which was uh, kind of a first contact callback um, in the start of this episode. Because I think because it was a TV budget, it didn't quite work as well as the, the first contact one. But it was still kind of like how we applaud them for trying, you know? Um, yeah, that was interesting. I mean, she had to do her, her best and get all the different 
brain brain parts and everything together yeah yeah and uh yeah that's fair enough and then we get into the first reference of um this bog that we tracked earlier that was kind of sleep regenerating it has what's described as a disease and it's some kind of mutation and um the next bit again this is a, a very nerdy nitpick but to kind of I guess torture the information out of him. She disconnects him from the collective so that he doesn't have the voices and feels lonely. Um, this yeah. bugs me no end because they, they expressly state in Best of Both Worlds that they, the bug can't just disconnect random drones because it would be like removing an arm or a leg. And yet the queen just nods and that's it. It's fine. I was like, really? That oh, seems I a wonder bit... if she can though. Maybe she has got some advanced technology. Maybe they assimilated somebody uh, between well, ep between that that time, and they got that technology. So now she knows how to do it. Plus, she's really mad. So maybe yeah, she, she did um, that to him. Well, this this nitpick led me down a bit of a rabbit hole. So forgive me, audience, but I did actually look it up, and there is a page on Memory Alpha where it explains that. Um, Despite what is initially believed, there are ways that a drone's link to the collective can be severed. Uh, I think there's seven or eight of them. And they are, if you'll indulge me, um, intentional termination by the Borg Queen. As you've said, she can do it. Um, disruptive natural phenomenon, like an electrical storm, as seen in Unity. Uh, physical or traumatic mm. damage, like we see in I, Borg. Uh, separation by time, like the 24th century Borg can't contact the 21st century Borg in first contact. Uh, a security force field or dampening field, as seen in Best of Both Worlds, Iborg and Scorpion. Uh, in Denobulan physiology, high doses of Omicron particles. We will discuss that next week. <laughs> or uh, finally, a submatrix collapse, as is mentioned in Picard. Um, so yes, Dr. Krish's analogy that it would be like removing a hand or a foot, not as it turns out all that accurate. <laughs> there are lots of ways to do it, so yeah. Yeah, apparently Dr. Crusher wasn't up on the current medical journals of the day. <laughs> Well, it's just not good enough. <laughs> I demand her to know her Borg. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it was their first encounter. Get back in. Back to school. Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to go back to something you were saying um, as well, the Queen, because it's showing you her trying to get to grips with whatever this disease is, even though we don't know expressly what it is, we can see it's got her worried and it's making her act very brutal as she's like seen, you know, tearing this drone away disconnected and then we see later she's like ripping heads off and digging in the brains and stuff and uh yeah so it's clearly something that's got her concerned which i think as an audience member is an interesting place to end the teaser because you're like wow what could the borg really be worried about so yeah yeah a lot of those scenes it was sort of like oh how graphic can we give her TV with this Borg stuff? Okay, Queen, she's really mad. She she herself is disembodied in general. So she doesn't mind mm. ripping heads off and stuff like that. And she's going to use basically any means necessary to discover what the heck is going on. Yeah, I do like that they acknowledge that, actually, because it would have annoyed me if they hadn't, that she actually says to the kind of disembodied heads that she's killed, it's a shame you're not alive to experience disembodiment. It's the epitome of perfection. And I'm kind of like, that's, that's yeah, just that's salt in the wound. Just showing off. It is. Like, look and see what I go. Oh, well, too bad you missed your opportunity. Well, maybe next time. Yeah. And she does it with, <laughs> she isn't overly flamboyant, you know, Susanna Thompson. No. But she does lift her hand, doesn't she? She lifts her oh, hand yeah, yeah. just a little bit in that scene. Oh, yeah. That's golden. Yeah, she, she's kind of, uh, as you say, she's logical and robot-like, but she's not emotionless like a Vulcan, and there's, there's moments of 
definite kind of um, arrogance and anger, I think, that come through, including a, a bit I'll talk about a bit later on, probably, uh, when we get to it. But, yeah. Um, right. So then, straight after the credits, anyway, we are introduced to Unimatrix Zero. And again, I thought that was fascinating because... We've already just dealt with the intrigue about what are the Borg worried about. And then we get Seven of Nine in this lush forest and a random man calling her by her human name, Annika. And then she wakes up and it's very uh, like, wow, that's that's jarring. What's going on here? <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah, that's really good. Did uh, you notice? The... <laughs> the, did you notice the music? The I did music throughout the episode. Yeah, I thought it did a really good it. job. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. This point that you're talking about when she she it's the scary Borg music and there's disembodied heads and then there's this beautiful kind of forest thing. Right at that point, the the music got to my brain and I I really think that it made a huge difference. It made me like the episode or made me like this stuff a little bit better because at first I wasn't sure. Yeah, I think I would agree with you in terms of the music because it's also really good the way that it underscores the two big fights at the end of both episodes with the um, tactical Borg cube. Because um, it's difficult to do kind of like action music whilst you're you're scoring like a space battle and it's just lasers going everywhere and stuff. But I, I think they did a really good job. So, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. This is, again, this is a nitpick that half the audience are probably going to groan at me over. Um, but the doctor says to Seven of Nine, it's another big milestone because it's her first dream. She's actually dreamed twice before, Doctor. <laughs> uh, I can't remember the second occasion, but one of them was the... Uh, one of them was definitely the episode Waking Moments that she very expressly dreamed. So. <laughs> uh... Jan, what about the raven? That's the one. That was Doesn't the other she, one. Yes. Yeah, the raven. Yeah, she, her her parents and and the, the terror of seeing her her parents, you know, and first seeing the Borg on her ship. And I think that that's was I think that was it. And that's when we meet little Annika. Yes. Oh, yes. We will. Uh, we'll definitely get yeah. into that later in the season. I have a guest coming on to review that particular episode as well. Oh, all right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Linda Butler, I think, reviewing that one with me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm like, well, I'm, I shouldn't tip my hand, but I will just say I've seen that episode a lot. Let's just go there. Uh, so, yeah, awesome. Uh, I did find the doctor, uh, the holographic doctor, I thought was acting a little bit weird here towards Seven of Nine, but I don't know why. I don't know if it was just me or if it was like a weird kind of uh, no. jealousy, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. You know, he, it, it could be one of those things where, you know, um, they're basically family now. I mean, the Voyager, they're all, they're out there and, and um, Seven of Nines basically come part of the family. And, you know, the doctor is feeling some things towards her. You know, he, yeah. he wants to help her, but he's just, I think, I wouldn't say in love with her. I'd say he's just intrigued in a rather enamored way for a hologram. And mm. now he realizes that there's maybe something he, he didn't know about her. So this is sort of one of those surprise moments. And he's sl maybe slightly di disappointed uh, because, you know, okay. she's his, uh, you know, like a kid. They have a very, um, a very Henry Higgins, uh, Eliza Doolittle kind of relationship. So I think you're right. It's kind of like, well, yes. why did I not know about this immediately? Okay. Kind of thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Agreed. Fair enough. Um, I have to go on to the next scene because I absolutely love it. And it's the scene when they are playfully having a go at Tom Paris for being a few seconds late. And then he discovers uh, a little box on his chair with a pip in it. Um, and we find out that he's yeah. being re-promoted 
Oh yeah, he's a good. Uh, well, that's fair enough. But yeah, he'd been uh, demoted early for going against orders in the episode thirty days. I won't get into it, but go watch the episode if you're interested in seeing why. Um, the reason that I love this scene is because Harry Kim says what literally the entire audience to this day still think, which is just the whole sarcastic. I didn't see any little box on my chair. <laughs> like, hang on, this jerk got straight to lieutenant after he was in prison, got demoted, got promoted back, and I'm still an ensign. <laughs> over here <laughs> exactly and he's never even been in trouble I yeah mean, exactly can a, yeah. can a guy get a break here <laughs> not not only has he not been in trouble he's like he, he almost single-handedly enhanced their senses and built an astrometrics lab and everything now like, good job harry you'll still be an ensign forever <laughs> right except uh, that you know he's been in for a while he's basically just because of his time and you know basically everything he's done so far should have earned him you know a little promotion oh, yeah. i don't think he should still have been an ensign but they yeah, talk a lot I'm not completely podcast <laughs> i know yeah it's but it's true it's so it's so very true but it um, is. i never understood how the ranks worked on voyager anyway because it's always struck me as weird that the maquis have a kind of provisional rank that jamie has given them so it's not the pips it's some other thing um and yet tom paris seems to have just been made a full lieutenant out of nowhere he has the actual starfleet pips and i'm like how does this work because he was he was just as like criminal as the maquis <laughs> Uh, the next scene I wanted to mention, just because I don't think it has any purpose in the episode, and it struck me as it might have been that the episode was running short and they had to add something, um, because it's just that Voyager comes across, they receive a distress call, sorry, first of all, and they come across like an asteroid colony, uh, only to discover that they're too late, the entire colony's been wiped out by the Borg, so Janeway just logs it as, oh, well, we don't know who these people were, but the Borg destroyed them and we're carrying on. And I was like, what was that scene for? <laughs> Other than to perhaps establish the Borg are threatening, but we kind of know that by now. <laughs> yeah, probably that the, the Borg are near or have been there. Mm. And they, we're, we're not just going to, you know, they're always looming. But that might be why they had to put it in. Maybe they needed a little spot. Could I be. feel like it was padding for time because they, they they do go to the trouble later of seeing that they're specifically trying to find a cube. So it's not like they had to mm -hmm. be in the area. It's like, no, no, we're, we're looking for the nearest one to commit this crazy plan. So <laughs> but, uh, never mind. Um, the rest of it's just basically establishing uh, the rules, I guess, of uh, Unimatrix Zero, that you can be killed in there and you'll just come back the next time you regenerate, which is handy to know. Um, because until then I thought it was the same rules as the movie The Matrix, but apparently not. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, yeah, they exist yeah, as individuals, and yeah, yeah, definitely it was a good choice. So, yeah, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I hope so. Um, whoever it is that did, and I think it's a matte painting uh, for Unimatrix Zero when they go to like the edge and there's like a gorgeous beach and uh, what looks like a little forest and everything there. Um, really gorgeous looking. I thought it was a very good job. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, aesthetically pleasing. You do, you do want to go there. That you know, that maybe that could be. Just don't want to give up Unimatrix Zero because look, they get a, a little bit of paradise. They had to make it paradise-ish. Yeah, and I think as you were saying earlier, um, yeah, because that's the thing. It has to look like that, and I think that's as I said, feeding into what you were saying. The music even is kind of, you know, wistful and dreamy and romantic and kind of like, oh, this is a great place, you know. So. Um, it's yeah. it's really hammering at home, but I think you need that a little bit to be kind of like, this is 
for them, this is a huge deal. They've got their individuality back and it's not just a matter of, well, it's only a forest. What do you want to go and live there for? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's cool. Uh, so, yeah, obviously, this uh, the, the first sparks of the plot happen here because they mention that um, they've designed a, a, some kind of virus to mask which which of the drones have this mutation and can go into Unimatrix Zero, but they need someone to release it into the collective because, and again, this is a weirdly important plot point, they don't remember Unimatrix Zero when they wake up as Borg drones again, which is, uh, again, interesting from a plot standpoint because that brings everybody else into the action. Um, and again, it's kind of fascinating. Though I will say that it was really gross seeing the assimilated Axum when we've gotten to know him. <laughs> I know, poor Axum. I mean, you know, he's got vivacious and he's, he's, you know, got he's got all this energy, and then all of a sudden you look and it's ching 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 ching. He's just another board. Oh yeah. man, I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, Axum, no. <laughs> Although I do strings. make a note. <laughs> I don't know that every time it's a Borg that you're supposed to kind of connect with. It's the only time they don't have anything covering their eyes and they do the same thing with Axum. Because um, every Very other true. Borg has like an eyepiece or something or an eye gouged out. True. But Axum yeah. and um, Seven of Nine's dad, when you see him, and even the uh, Voyager crew members later, they don't have anything covering their eyes because mm -hmm. you're supposed to be like, no, you will see who this person was and feel sympathy. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm on to you. Oh, I know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see technique. Yeah, I, I never <laughs> thought of that, but that's a good point. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so obviously we get through the, the the queen being a bit more brutal and talking to some more disembodied heads. Um, a little uh, fact that I'd found out, which I had no idea about, but is is now something I can't unsee, is that one of the disembodied heads is um, is Brent Spiner because they had it um, oh, in storage awesome. from use during uh, during Next Gen during the episode Times Arrow. Um, so it just like heavily oh. borgified the Brent Spiner mold they already had. <laughs> oh man! See now I gotta I have to go and watch these episodes again. I've already watched them twice to do this recording. Now I have to go find that exact scene. <laughs> it's really well disguised, it. but when you when you find the right screenshot and you really look, it's like oh yeah, that is a Brent Spiner head, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay, i I have a mission after after this. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, so obviously, we get, as I said, that they delve quite a lot into the um, the romance subplot, I guess, or or main plot, I guess, even um, by talking about how you know uh, we're seeing the connections these people all have in Unimatrix Zero. There are lovers, there are families, uh, and Axum explains that Annika, as she's known, knew uh, everyone there for about eighteen years. Um, this is where we get introduced to a character that I like, the character of Korok. Uh, the Klingon in Unimatrix Zero. Oh, because yeah, he's great. There's, yeah. yeah there's <laughs> something like... really jarring about this like idyllic kind of environment where everybody's like floaty and hippie-esque and he's just coming in like, I do not trust her. <laughs> yeah, I, li I like him because of, of his whole character arc in this episode and what happens at the yep. end. But I just, I think, uh, I, I think his character was really well done. I liked him, mm. yeah. And I liked how uh, Laura, or I don't remember the name of the woman, but she says, That's right, um, Laura, yeah. shouldn't you be filing your teeth? I'm <laughs> like, huh, I wonder if they are uh, like a, you know, if they have some sort of sparring or something that they do, because she basically just oh, put him in his place and he growled and walked away. As I say, we get a little bit more about um, Annika talking to Axum and saying he, she will ask Voyager for help. Uh, uh, and she's trying to convince Janeway and the Voyager crew. And we get a nice bit of kind of Starfleet morality when they say, you know, if we get a, 
a call for help, a distress signal. We we help. It's what we do. Uh, it shouldn't be any different because they're Borg. They've asked for help. And uh, yeah. So then Janeway mentions that she wants to see this Unimatrix Zero. And we get, my eyes did roll a little bit at this, the most convenient Vulcan ex machina ever, where it's just whatever ability they need these Vulcans to have, they will miraculously spring out of nowhere. And it's like, oh, I can join your minds together if you want. It's like a mind melt. It's like, where did this come from? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, have Vulcan will travel. Like the Vulcans can do anything. They, they make it all better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's understandable that they need a reason to get her in there, but I was kind of like, you're just going to make up random Vulcan powers? Come on. Again, I see through your writing here. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's fair enough. But yeah, I also kind of I like that Jamie is quite proactive in these episodes. So it's her that kind of suggests for the first time why just try to hide yourself. Why not try to develop a virus that lets you retain your individuality when you're separated from Unimatrix Zero? And you know, we will try to do this. We'll find a way. Uh, and again, the, the line which sums up the this entire story, which is you're talking about a civil war. No, I prefer to call it a resistance movement. <laughs> Which is like, okay, all right, I see yeah. what you're doing here. Um, but yeah, and then the uh, we see the, quite a horrific moment, as I say, because because of this sanctuary nature of Unimatrix Zero. So when the Borg drones kind of start stomping through, re-assimilating people, I guess, or whatever, uh, it's quite scary. We get the kind of Borg vision shots and everything. It's a bit horror movie-esque. But then it's a very sort of um, punch-the-air cheer moment when Janeway picks up the Batleth and just takes out the drone by herself. <laughs> yeah and then of course that's when the Borg Queen yep. she sees that footage and she's like yeah. Janeway yeah always interfering Janeway <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah all with meddling these meddling kids yeah and that <laughs> it kind of made me think um, Ahab you know seeing Moby Dick hmm. it kind of yeah, goes yeah, both yeah. way with these two of them they're both each other's nemesis so yeah, yeah. I love that. Oh, it's about to get good. Absolutely. And as much as I don't love the idea of the Borg Queen, because I think the Borg are scarier without like an individual voice. I think the Borg Queen, and I've mentioned this before, is used better on Voyager because she's the only time there's really a villain who deservedly goes toe to toe with Janeway. Uh, and they spar really well together, those two characters. Um, particularly as the, like I said, the representative of the good mother and the bad mother for control of seven of nine, which is why I think Dark Frontier works mm -hmm. really well. Um, yes. Yeah. Maybe that's just me being film critic mode. <laughs> well, I, I I think that Janeway and the Borg Queen just really play well off each, each other. You know, like Kirk and Khan or something. Mm. I just I really like watching yes. it. I'm I'm intrigued because they they have it's not just them and their ship, but then it becomes like I'm going to save my family. No, I'm going to save my family. Oh yeah, well, I'm going to mm -hmm. blow up all this side of my family because you interfered in my family. You know, and Janeway's like, "Well, now <laughs> I'm going to make them part of my family." You know, so I I like that with those with these two women warriors. Oh, I just yeah. think it's great. Definitely, absolutely agree with you on that one. Yeah, hundred percent. Awesome, awesome. Um, I was I remember when I first saw this episode, I was so super excited to finally see a new kind of ball cube, <laughs> even though all they've done is just stick some extra armor on it. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, it um, was sort of like a more of a tank, a tank versus yeah. a, 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 a you know a regular truck or something. It's more of it's got its mm. armor on, you know, an ablative armor almost. Yeah, exactly. Which they it. do a lot, but it's so yeah. cool, isn't it? Really. Um, so yeah, yeah they mentioned cool. that you know. 
it gives you the stakes as well because it's like not only are we trying to infiltrate any old ball cube, we're infiltrating the most heavily armed type. That you know, so rare we've never seen it before, and it's got extra armor and everything. So, good luck with that. <laughs> like that they have time to have Janeway and Seven have a scene where Janeway discusses Seven being a bit more human in Unimatrix Zero and what that might mean, um, which is yeah. very nice. Yeah. Uh, because then yeah, that leads very, you into their scenes together are good. Oh, they're always good, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it leads directly into, like, Seven yeah. going to um, recruit the troops, I guess, and gather them around. Uh, and as they're hiding from drones or something, you get the slightly hawky scene of, like, um, she notices Axum's arm around her and inquires about the nature of their relationship and was it a romantic relationship and, and then gets terrified when she kind of learns it is and gets nervous and says that, uh, no, my name is Seven of Nine. And I was like, that should be really cheesy, but for some reason these two actors just play it really well and have good chemistry. So I'm kind of fine with it. <laughs> yeah, they're they're kind of back and forth um, when she discovers that they were, were basically lovers. You know, it's yeah. she does it, it pretty well, but it it helps that they have chemistry together, the two actors. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, we get a brief explanation of the plan, or the plan that we're supposed to think is the plan, uh, to attack the tactical cube and inject the central plexus and just beam away. Uh, Jamie is going to do it by herself, but of course we get that Star Trek moment of like, no, no, Starfleet Directive, whatever, says you need a security officer. Aha, this other Starfleet Directive says you need an engineer, even though I've just made it up. And like, yeah, yeah, I, I like the banter just as much as anyone. I get it. <laughs> um so, yeah, I, I understand what they were going for on that one. Uh, and, yeah, um, as I said, I mentioned that just uh, she's still going to go on her own, but it's Chakotay that convinces her by being a little bit flirty. I noticed in this uh, this scene in the corridor when he's like, no, no, take, take people with you. You've got to look after yourself and whatnot. And it's the only way I'll agree to do it. <laughs> and I was like, all right, you two, <laughs> get a room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> The next scene is a very mixed bag for me because it's when the, they detect that they're being hailed. Um, and it's really cool when you don't see who's on the screen at first, but the entire bridge just glows green. And it's like, you know, as soon as that happens, who it is. <laughs> um, but we just get Harry in the command chair like, uh, Captain, it's for you. <laughs> and uh, she goes up and uh, she has that fantastic kind of face-to-face -face scene via the view screen with the ball queen where it's... The Queen, again, shows that she's worried, which is surprising and kind of sad for the Borg as a threat. But uh, it's, a, again, a great kind of she's trying to bribe Voyager and we could get you home quicker and whatever else. Um, but then the scene ends with a really weird scene, uh, excuse me, where the Queen just realizes that she's getting nowhere and just goes, oh, we'll be seeing you soon, Harry. And he responds with, uh, what's that supposed to mean? To this day, I have no idea what that's about. <laughs> Any ideas? Yeah. Well, to me, that is like... Um... Uh, hey, uh, nice, nice family got there. Hope nothing happens to it. You know, mm. sort of like a mafia kind of a thing. Like, um, because the first person oh. went on the bridge, the only one is Harry when she, when, when she comes on to the screen and mm. then Janeway just strolls in. She doesn't say, yeah. how dare you, blah, blah, blah. She just strolls in. Oh, it's been a long time. Yeah. No, she doesn't <laughs> play the game. And so. So the board queen is like, okay, hey, Harry, see you later. Because, so she, you know, she's I, basically she, threatening the youngest and weakest. Oh, yes. <laughs> it, she can tell that that, that Janeway loves Harry. Harry's like a son. 
Okay. And she's yeah. Or Queen's gonna say, "Oh, really? You're not scared of me? Okay, see you later, Harry." (laughs) I get it. What I do. a very sort of sly threat. That's what I, I, think. I understand. That's makes sense. That's okay. Cool. Um, I, I can dig that then. So uh, anyway, we we're almost at the end of part one now because we get a little bit of uh, well, there's a, a very brief scene between Tom and Bellana, which I like, but I think it is too brief. I would have preferred a bit more because she's going on this insane, dangerous mission, and they are, I believe, at the very least, they're engaged at this stage they're definitely dating uh, and we get one kind of brief scene in the delta flyer and that's it <laughs> um but it's nice that it's there i guess he knows he's not going to stop anything from happening he just has to say it yeah 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 definitely <laughs> uh, they are great together again it's great chemistry and everything but um what's less impressive for me is that when seven kind of there's a little bit of padding when she's gathering unimetric zero yet again in another um, gather the troops scene uh, and then kind of explains to Axum that, you know, I'm nervous about all this. So as far as I'm concerned, it's just, we were just colleagues. And then he takes a major huff and I'm like, that's not entirely fair, dude. That's, that's very dodgy behavior in this day and age to be like, oh, well, I'll remember that then. <laughs> like, dude, let her take it at her own pace. Just chill. <laughs> yeah. It, it's sort of like a, um, to me, that's a, like a trope reversal, you know, like it's the man mm. who is sort of, sad you know that it's just time to be friends and you know so yeah very quickly then just to finish up the tactical cube flies by and is uh, attacked by voyager and the delta flyer in what is definitely a blatant homage to the uh, opening of first contact <laughs> uh, with the ball cube who are being attacked by starfleet yeah. uh, but i'd love the, the special effects on the actual attack i'm a sucker for space battles anyway and it was just really cool and again i remember when I first watched the episode, just utter shock that the Delta flyer was destroyed, just unceremoniously, three torpedoes and it's debris in the middle of space. It's like, wow, okay, uh, things are serious. <laughs> um, and then obviously, uh, Janeway, uh, Tuvok and uh, Torres board the Borg ship and it looks like they're trying to fight their way through, but ultimately they get assimilated. Uh, and could be a shocking cliffhanger except uh i do feel and i don't think i'm alone on this that they kind of undercut their own cliffhanger because we didn't really need the scene of chakotay saying um when he was hears that they've been assimilated and their life signs are erratic you actually cut to chakotay saying okay so far so good get us out of here and i was like that just completely destroys the tension why would you do that to yourself um yeah. did you think that was a weird choice as well they were in jeopardy you left that yeah they- so yeah um this is my biggest biggest kind of problem and bugbear with uh, this story overall is the idea that the Voyager crew members voluntarily got themselves assimilated. And I understand that they have the whatever neural suppressant which doesn't combine them to the collective, but Star Trek has gone out of its way to point out what a physically traumatic and harrowing thing it is to get, you know, m- metallic parts injected into you and your limbs hacked off and look like these horrible cyborg type things and they do look really ugly so the idea that like they're volunteering for this struck me as really odd uh, particularly if uh, if you start looking without getting too deep into it looking at the kind of the idea of borg assimilation as a metaphor of like uh, any kind of violent assault or whatever against your will that even on the metaphorical level it's like are we trying to say that you can survive it as long as you just don't feel or you whatever it's a very murky area for me so I just true, didn't yeah. ever really love it. <laughs> um, never thought of it, you know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, assimilation—that's 
traumatic. I mean, look at everything Picard went through, but maybe mm. volunteering, you know, is a way they were able to get away with it. And, you know, I think it's probably known that Tuvok would uh, probably uh, come out of it differently than, than Janeway and, and Torres. But um, it, it's true. I never really thought about that, that they volunteered. Basically, okay, you're going to be assaulted, so just deal with it. Yeah, and I just don't, like I said, because because they've went, and maybe it's it's not fair to judge it against other things in the franchise, but like going to first contact when you see the effect that it has, and like I said, there's like bloodied sort of stumps with metal attached and someone's eyes gouged out and the, the horrible kind of zombie-like look on, of the faces and stuff, and it's like, you guys are volunteering for this? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but no, I don't care whether I'm linked to the collective or not. I do not want that happening to me, you know? <laughs> Nope, <laughs> me either. I- I'm with you. Yeah. But uh, anyway, <laughs> we go. Um, so going back into the episodes themselves then, because that's obviously, as I said, they- they've kind of undercut as well as that, um, what the actual point is that they it was their plan to get quote-unquote assimilated because with the virus they've uh, now got, they can survive not being connected to the collective. So, okay. Um I was curious for just your thoughts then um, on what you thought about this plan. Did you think, first of all, that Janeway was right to kind of get involved and help the Borg? Uh, and if so, do you really think the uh, voluntary assimilation was the best plan and the best course of action? Well, that's an interesting point. I love, I love the story. Uh, you know, Janeway's going to do it no matter what because the, you know, she, she, she's. She hates the Borg much, and she's going to save her family, and she loves Annika, and she's she's just like a do-gooder anyway. But this is where uh, my my husband David was like, uh, yeah, they're going to be really mad at her. Starfleet is not going to like this, you know. <laughs> and, it, and if she did have to get involved, then she should have altered the nanovirus to just kill them, you know. So this is one of those things where... I get all excited about something, and then reality comes back. Oh yeah, the Federation. <laughs> We're not supposed to. Do yeah. That. Oh, I don't. I don't. Um, I certainly don't begrudge anybody who kind of likes this plan or thinks that this plan is kind of fine. And it certainly is in character for, at the very least, Janeway um, to be kind of like, you know what, just to stick it to these ultimate enemy. I'll put up with it. You know what I mean? But uh, to a to a degree, at least. But yeah, it's very weird. It just strikes me that. I, I was never that bothered by like oh because she even mentions it probably violates Starfleet protocols, but again it's the Borg and Starfleet as we see in next gen are kind of like, no, no, if you get a chance to hurt the Borg, just do it because you know they could yeah. come for us at any time. So I'm <laughs> kind of fine yep. with the Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that side of things, but I just think there must have been an easier way because I get the it seems later on that they have to be assimilated so that they can have the little Borg shields and get through to the central plexus and inject the virus that way. Um, but I'm like, yeah. there's got to have been a better way. Surely they could have sent like a droid or a probe or something that could have done the same thing, you know? But, uh, yeah, they need yeah. one of those Star Wars probes to get in there and try not to get shot. Yeah, although I'm, I'm not sure if you've seen them, but the cool little things they have now in uh, Discovery, the little what look like flying R2-D2 robots, send one of them in. Mm. <laughs> I'm certainly guilty of um, not minding things that make no logical sense just because I enjoy the episode and I can kind of hand wave it or head kind of knit away. So I don't begrudge that, like I said, but um, for me, I just can't quite get away with it because I don't know. I just find it a bit too offensive to me, I guess, uh, without wanting to be too dramatic. But yeah. Um, I do think it's an odd choice as well to show 
that even though they're, you know, retaining their individuality, the episode opens with like Tuvok switching to Borg vision as if he's getting fully taken over, which again doesn't make a lot of sense. And Belana's had a like a vocal processor installed and Janeway's getting something drilled into her head. And I'm like, all the visuals here are like, this is horrible and horrifying and bad. So why are you still just like, but it's fine. <laughs> You get the, um, as I say, I always like when you get at least a ticking clock on things to give a bit of stakes. So finding out that they've got two hours before the Borg go to Transwarp and they won't be able to uh, track them down and get the away team back, I think was an interesting bit of tension to give you. I wish they'd have done a bit more with it, but that's fair enough. Um, Seven of Nine going back to Unimatrix Zero and just, again, expressing her discomfort and uh, on how kind of she wants to lead this charge against the Borg in this civil war, but she's very nervous of Axum. Um, but, but it does lead to the great scene and again just how legendary this character is that Korok of all people is like if you would like some advice from a warrior in the bed chamber as well as the battlefield <laughs> it's like, this guy is so cool I just want to yeah. hang out with this oh, dude <laughs> I, I totally want to hang out with Korok like that's if I'm going to be stuck in Unimate I'm hanging out with that guy because he he just says whatever he wants and can you imagine being the writer who got to write that and then did you notice mm. seven of nine's reaction she just lifts an eyebrow like uh are you <laughs> it, talking yeah. to me about that right now just one <laughs> eyebrow said so much <laughs> like i you known me for 18 years but i'm just meeting you so can we not talk about being a warrior in the bedroom right now so awkward <laughs> one eyebrow how many Klingons would even say that, though? I just love it. It's like, a warrior in the bed, Jamie. Too. Yes, yes. <laughs> he's yeah, got no filter, and I'm here for I mean, No, he doesn't, and that he makes it. He makes it really good. Yeah, love that guy. Yeah, I love. I'd also love that he's not like a, a hot-headed sort of a pig-headed, bad-tempered character. Because even when later on, it's like he disagrees, and they talk him around. He he changes his mind in a way that a lot of the older sort of uh, angry Klingons wouldn't and would be like, no, I'm, I'm definitely right. So I'm like, see, this guy's cool. He's just kind yeah, of Yeah, I like him. Chill. He's cool. Yeah, he is chill. <laughs> yeah. But also, he had been in the collective for so long mm -hmm. that he knows what everybody, you know, I mean, if the Borg Collective really is what they say and everybody can hear each other's thoughts, he really knows these people, so he'll listen to them. Yeah. Whereas exactly. if he had a bunch of other Klingons around him all the time, you know, Lursan Bator on one side and the Duras house on the other, like talking him out of it, then he would be more Klingon. But right now he's sort of like, okay, we have a mission. Uh, that's why I really like, yeah. him. I like him. In the same way that Worf, I think you're, you're right, kind of tempers his behavior because he's in Starfleet. And so, yeah, yeah, you're right. He's not just like, ah, I will be angry and always right and whatever. So, right. And where's the gawk and all this stuff? You know, he's, <laughs> he's being, he's got to be like, they they kind of have a mission right now. They're trying to survive. And he knows he's a leader. We find out mm. later he's definitely a leader. Oh, yes. Yes. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Uh, that's yeah, awesome. So, uh, anyway, the next, um, the next thing that we see is when we're back on the cube that they can actually get through the shielding in the central plexus and, Tuvok almost kills Captain Jane, which just struck me as a really weird thing because he's like, we must disable this drone, and he almost pulls the wire out or whatever that would be seen to kill or deactivate various drones in the past, um, which is a weird choice as well with this whole, like, look what you've done to yourselves. And then, again, they reinforce when uh, she turns around and they go, oh, Captain, and she just goes, what's left of her? And I was like, again, you volunteered for this, love. <laughs> you can't now start complaining. <laughs> Yeah, you made this Borg ship, now sleep in it. 
Like she made, they made <laughs> exactly. the choices to go. Yeah, they got to deal with it. And uh, it, again, it's something that, um, without wanting to sound, I hate being negative, but it really bugs me that Tuvok starts hearing the collective and she just says very casually, oh, the neurosuppressant must be wearing off. Just try to maintain your composure. And I was like, there was a chance of this? And you still went ahead with the mission? Yeah, you knew <laughs> this you was stupid? an option? Dude, I didn't see this on the risk assessment chart. Where was it that this neurosuppressive wasn't going to work? He failed to mention that. Exactly, yeah. Because why would you volunteer again? But uh, And again, the, the queen looks really incompetent because it's only now, after they've clearly been assimilated for a while, that she's like, why can I not hear them? I can hear Tuvok occasionally, but why can't I hear the rest of them? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Janeway is... really makes the, her freak out. Janeway is she's not, you know, she, I, I think Janeway... It, she knows that's her her nemesis, and she's not. Oh, yeah. She's not herself. She's like, "What the heck, this Janeway? What is she doing? Gotta get rid of her." Yeah, and yeah. yeah, and that's. I mean, that's later on when she literally loses her temper, and even though she's only yeah. talking to a hologram, she like reaches to throttle Janeway's throat and realizes yeah. this is so dumb because she's not really there. <laughs> it's just yeah. sheer anger. Oh, you know? she made my temper again. Dang it! Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Janeway <laughs> just looking <laughs> smug there, like mm, I don't negotiate with <laughs> folk. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Um, then obviously we get more of the drones attacking Unimatrix Zero, which I only made a note of because this has never happened before. But I actually spotted a stuntman called Tom Morga, who's a regular stuntman oh. for Voyager, who I noticed was one of the Borg drones. Because I've been reading somebody like behind the scenes of Voyager books and stuff recently, um, that I was like, oh, it's that guy. <laughs> Oh, how cool! He would lo probably love to know that you saw that you recognized him. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I did think that the traps that they were setting for the drones were a little bit roadrunnery because <laughs> it was very primitive. But it's really cool that they came up with, of all things, they had like a meet cute when Seven gets caught in Axum's net and they're just kind of talking <laughs> through that. And I was like, That's okay, this again, this should be terrible, but it kind of works just because of the chemistry here with the two of them, you know. It did kind of work, but that's funny. Like uh, a big Acme box, like dropped in Unimatrix <laughs> Zero, and like these nets and stuff came out. How are there no anvils? You know what I mean? But yeah, because she gets trapped in this thing, and and she's like, uh, I think this is where she says, "Oh, Korok was concerned." Yes. Is that where she says that? I mean, he sarcastically goes, well, maybe we should check then in case Korok's even more concerned or something back yeah, at her. Yeah, that's where they kind of, and she admits that she's looking for him and all this stuff. So, yeah, it's over. Cat's out of the bag. She's starting to have her feelings back for Axum. Yes. But as much as I kind of have an issue with this uh, idea of the assimilation, they, they do play the horror of it quite well in moments. And I think the, the bits of, like, Tuvok hearing the Queen and chanting his own details of his life, where he was born and his kids and stuff is a really cool, uh, it, it doesn't make any sense that it, it should have to happen, but at least it's dealing with it in a, a scary kind of way. Um, but again, it's it's very convenient that the Voyager away team don't have any of the traditional hacked off limbs or gouged out eyes or anything that you would normally be the first thing that would be done to you as you're assimilated, because of course they have to be able to be repaired and be fine next week. So um, yeah, that would I kind of got about up. that. Yeah, that would mess. <laughs> that would mess up the whole thing. <laughs> no, no, you can't cut off Tuvok's leg. But I like yeah. that Tim Ross really stepped into this role. I mean, you know, a lot of my favorite episodes are all about Tuvok because I think Tim Ross's acting is just so superb, and I think he really mm. played this this 
well, you know, thinking about it and everything, and I liked it. There's a nice little scene here. There's not a whole lot happens, but the scene between Tom and Chakotay, because Tom's now first officer, and he's kind of... Uh, he's angry at Chakotay for like Chakotay just wants to wait and Tom wants to do something because he's obviously worried about his future wife. Um, and I just love the fact that he's like Chakotay is like, oh, a first officer could get in trouble for talking to a captain like that. And Tom just responds, oh, I learned from the best. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's, that's true. Chakotay, when he first came on, was really like that. Wasn't it an interesting parallel? Because Janeway has to say to Chakotay at the beginning, I need your support. You know, and then Chakotay has to tell Tom Paris the same thing. Hey, I need your support. Yes, I mean, so that's kind of an interesting parallel. Thing, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I like, like that yeah. little scene. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a scene I think we did need, and I do like that as well. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm, um, it's good to see but, these two. Yeah. Yeah. But back on the cube, things are um, A, going kind of well because at least they've downloaded the virus, but B, terribly because Tuvok has now been fully assimilated, which again, uh, we're in trouble here. That should, that should be a very big red flag. And there's not as quite as much uh, worry about that as I think as it deserves. Um, Voyager is forced to move closer because they realize Chakotay, oh, sorry, that uh, Tuvok's life signs are uh, now gone, kind of, more or less. Uh, the Janeway gets kind of kidnapped, I guess, and taken to, to see the Queen. Um, but the Voyager, despite getting closer, is now attacked by the Borg and has to withdraw because having assimilated Tuvok, they now the Borg now have uh, Voyager's tactical codes, to which I've just written in bold capital letters. They didn't change the access codes. How effing dumb are these people? They knew the security <laughs> chief was on this mission, and there was a risk of this, and they were like, "Nah, we're fine." <laughs> yeah, exactly. How did they not have that on their pre-boarding a ship checklist? Change the codes. You know, they left that off. Yeah, exactly. It's like, when security chief's over on the Borg ship, he's he's kind of a Borg now, but, you know, should we change the course? Nah, I'm sure I'll be fine. We're good. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it is it is good, though, watching the Queen get more and more irate and kind of uh, seeing as she's losing the voices when the virus works, and she says it's like thousands and thousands, um, which we don't really get a chance to, we, we can't conceptualize that, I think, in, in our minds, which is why I love that then we find out that one of them's in that very chamber, where she just turns around and she's like, I can't hear you anymore. What are you up to? And so you get that scene literally just between the two of them there and then. That's a very interesting way of conceptualizing the idea for us, I think. Yeah, and he turns and he's he's like just talking to her mm. and like, has that been to her before? Like oh, she, she looks she, shocked like, and afraid. One of her drones is yeah, he's looking right at her and defying her. So oh my gosh, it's another level of being pissed off at Janeway. <laughs> exactly. And speaking of which, she also uh, Janeway gets plugged into like a holographic communication thing, and uh, on the other side of the communication appears as Captain Janeway again because the Queen says uh, oh she restored Janeway's appearance because she knows how vain humans can be. To which I've made the note, yes, and it's also a lot cheaper than having to pay for the Borg makeup and everything for Cape Mulgrew again. I guess, uh, again, I'm not stupid. I know how TV exactly. works. <laughs> yeah, plus, you know, the funny thing about it is Cape Mulgrew, who I just love, she's amazing, but she just isn't, I mean, not that any Borg is aesthetically pleasing, but mm. they didn't do her any favors, whoever no. created her particular, and the bridge is bright 
bright and shiny, you know, not like you can't, you can have shading and stuff if she's on the cube. So yeah, I bet you Kate Mulgrew was like, oh, heck no, I ain't not doing that. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, so the, obviously this is, we've touched on this earlier, but the queen, I think it's really kind of wise and shows how cunningly kind of evil she is that her appeal to Janeway's empathy and morality is just like, well, I'm going to now just blow up all of the ships that have free hog, I guess, on them because of what you did, and it's your fault. And um, again, I, I, I both love and hate that she's like, as a Starfleet officer, you value all life, even drones. And I'm like, okay, well, nobody told Picard or the multiple other instances when they're just gunning down Borg left and right. But okay, I guess now we care. <laughs> yeah, now we care about, about it. But, you know, that's just... It would make sense to us as Janeway fans, but other yeah, captains yeah, yeah. might be like, well, whatever, I don't care. Janeway, you know, that's just her character. Even Janeway, though, I mean, she destroys plenty of Borg ships in her time as well, you know? That's true, but, she uh, does, yeah. yeah. I wonder if it's because she thought Seven of Nine would know, might know some of them, or she might have met some of them, and, you know, hey, they're just coming to their own right now. I think it's more that she feels more directly responsible, as I'm saying, because it's like, well... If you're True. killing Borg because you've got no yeah. other choice, but now it's like they would have been fine, but you've effectively killed them, you know, and mm -hmm. it gives them that See. face, doesn't it? So, yep. Oof. See what you made me do? Exactly. Exactly. Not narcissistic. Which again reinforces the queen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All I can picture now is the Borg queen giving a full Taylor Swift performance because you said, look what you made me do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be a cool outfit. Little twist. The Borg Queen can't come to the collective right now because she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally going to uh, write that song someday. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, it is kind of, it's true what the Queen says, despite her being kind of evil and nasty. It's true that she says like, well, Janeway, you're just using them to get to us at this stage. And how is that any, any better? Um, and then Janeway in the most bizarre way, just says, oh, well, you should visit Unimatrix Zero because maybe the taste of individuality would appeal to you. And I'm like, first of all, that's not how it works. Secondly, the Queen is the one person that has individuality anyway. So <laughs> it doesn't make a yeah, whole lot of sense like, trying to do that. No, and I and I can remember thinking at first watches, I'm like, don't give this woman any ideas. We don't want her to go there. You know, she's really not going to like that they're all doing that. She's stuck on this board cube with not half a body. Mm. <laughs> just a floating head but yeah, it's perfect so yeah <laughs> awesome um we see over meanwhile back on voyager that the ship is truly wrecked by the fact that they didn't change their uh, access codes because they're all really stupid <laughs> which again should uh, probably should and could be a bit more tense but yeah <laughs> i guess it's it's only a two-part episode we don't have time to worry too much about the repairs um so then we get them talking about severing the link with Unimatrix Zero and how uh, it's difficult. And it's good that the Doctor and Seven have that little moment with each other because we've had the hints of that romance and that kind of relationship, as I mentioned, that was a bit Pygmalion uh, style, um, which I said that this, this storyline, I actually really like the romance uh, aspect of things, but I feel like this scene is placed wrongly here because it just kills the momentum because you go from kind of the injection of the virus to Tuvok being fully taken over to Janeway facing off against the Borg Queen, a bunch of Borg cubes blowing up and then it just stops for a tender little scene between Seven and the Doctor and I'm like, this has kind of just stopped the pace dead really, hasn't it? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Interesting editing choice there. Yeah. 
but uh, but it is nice. As I said again, the doctor when he's like uh, he's trying to actually talk Seven through. You know, you should maybe try and explore this, and uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of cool. And there's a hint of jealousy, but he still sticks up for Axum. Um, and at the end, he just says something like, "I'll say this for him: he's a lucky man." And I was like. That could have been really creepy, but it comes off actually quite sweet, which is a, a line that Robert Picardo threads just perfectly there, you know? <laughs> yeah, he really he really plays that. The disappointment is clear to us, but Seven might not have noticed it, you know, and it's just sort of an internal, you know, he gets a little bit down to him, and he's just such a great actor. He really played that well. Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, and obviously we go into you know, Matrix Zero now, and as I mentioned earlier, they convince Korok to uh, to take action by pointing out that it's a matter of honour. So they've obviously read the Klingon uh, rule book and know the best way to appeal to them. Um, and yeah, brief mention of, as we mentioned earlier, 8472, we're going to try to contact them because Axum's far, far away on the border of fluidic space. Uh, and I just said that this, I like this next scene, but it's a blatant Casablanca ripoff moment kind of thing when it's like... Um, Oh, I'm too far away. We may never see each other. We'll always have Unimatrix Zero. And it was sufficient before, but now? And then they just kiss as the music swells. And I was like, okay, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Right. <laughs> and, uh, right. Of course, the uh, uh, Next Generation episode of We'll Always Have Paris, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't really need to get too much into the next scene because we've talked about it already, but it's just basically the queen talking to the little boy and trying to appeal to him on a rational level of like, no, no, we're, we are just trying to make you perfect and combine everyone and your family are here. And I was like, I always like that when they do this, the book pointing out that they're not like vindictive or evil as far as they're concerned. In their mind, they're just like, why doesn't everybody want to be perfect and join us? Um Which again, yeah, interesting angle because... If you were that kid and you're hearing like you, you could be with your parents, it's interesting to think how how that might appeal to you in that level, um, and it also reinforces the maternal nature of this ball queen, I think, as well. Um, yeah, she's trying. She like she's trying to desperately tell this little kid it's not so bad. Her, yeah. His dad is are, are there, you know, and it's it's just so weird because she she knows where everybody is and knows everything, but this little kid doesn't know he won't be able to run up and hug his dad. His dad yeah, wouldn't even exactly know who he is. It's like, oh, don't yeah, tell him this. <laughs> doesn't really understand the nature of like free will and individuality and the, the, yeah. the deep thoughts of it. You know, it's just kind of like, can I be like not lonely, baby? <laughs> yeah. so, I know, okay. kid, your dad's a zombie. <laughs> don't, Effectively, don't, yeah. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear me. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, we get the Queen sort of, um, she basically goes back to Janeway and I was like, this is effectively the Queen because she's been in Unimatrix Zero woken up and going, your Unimatrix Zero ain't shit, Janeway. <laughs> Didn't do anything to me. I was not tempted at all. <laughs> and then uh, points out that like, um, she's now created, a again, convenient Star Trek style, she's now got a nanovirus that's adapted from the other one that will kill uh, anyone instead of awakening them and they can either rejoin the collective and live as Borg or die so obviously even Janeway would think at least they're alive and whatever and sends Janeway to negotiate uh, for this with Voyager uh, at which point she appears <laughs> this is such a dumb little silly note but I was like oh on Voyager they are encountering holographic Janeway and I was like lol is this a bit of Star Trek prodigy foreshadowing <laughs> that's funny of course holographic Janeway <laughs> I bet it is. We loved it. It's great because they're like, well, we can turn her off now. Okay, turn her back on, turn her off, turn her on. 
Awesome. And I did like, in my mind, at least, it's clearly a reference to Wrath of Khan when it's like um, they're giving a message, sounds like something else, but she's like, Am I making myself clear? And even Chakoti yeah. says, Oh, yeah, I did get an order about the one you think. So, yeah. yeah. I think in minutes, hours, hours versus minutes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, here it's like, uh, Chakoti, Unimatrix Zero cannot exist. Are we clear? <laughs> you know? So, yeah, very good. And again, I absolutely love it. I'm sure you mentioned it earlier. <laughs> totally unexpected and it was even though I wasn't loving these episodes at the moment a Borg Sphere turned up and you just cut to Korok <laughs> piloting it on the view screen like I've come to join you in battle I was like oh that's badass <laughs> I love that that was <laughs> uh, the first time I saw that I was like Korok oh, I was so excited to see him you know and he's got, he, he's got he's totally there and he's gonna help and now everybody's all excited and we know that he's amazing but he is a general again I mean that's you can't yes. just be a Klingon general not basically being amazing, you know, like Martok or something. You know, yeah. he's really yeah. paid his dude and he's a real warrior and a real leader. So it's going to be good. It's awesome. But I also love, on, and again, this is a little bit of praise for the writing. I love that they came up with a clever way that we could infiltrate a really heavily armed Borg ship because we have a Borg ship now. So I was like, that's genius to think that yay. the only thing we could penetrate <laughs> their weapons is them. And now we happen to have one. So yay. Now we happen to have one, yeah. <laughs> Oh, good. That's exactly what we needed. Exactly. But uh, I love it. And um, that, uh, we've mentioned the Borg Queen's kind of snarl and grabbing at Janeway when she realizes what's happened here as Unimatrix Zero was destroyed. Uh, and of course, we get the uh, kind of the equivalent of rushing to the airport moment when Seven rushes back in to see uh, Axum one last time. Uh, and they embrace, and Axum just says, I'll find you, to which I've written the note, narrator, he never found her. <laughs> never mm. <laughs> and in the um, end they never saw each other again yeah they didn't no, <laughs> no. anyway so we we end things as we so often do with these big bog episodes with uh just the self-destruction of the cube and the away team being beamed over because we care about the lives of drones but only when they're our friends so we're just going to beam those three and not worry about the rest <laughs> nope sorry suckers <laughs> and uh, we should probably have some precautions about the fact that Tuvok is fully assimilated and probably wants to attack us, but yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, Tuvok's just in the medical bed. The doctor's like, well, he's having a little problem, but yeah, he's a Borg. We're, you know, yeah. we're security. I, uh, I know. He is exactly. Well, that is something that bugs me because, as we've mentioned and as you said, I've said earlier, Okay, even if you want to buy the whole neural suppressant thing, Tuvok was fully assimilated, and that's something that like Seven of Nine and Picard are still dealing with to this day. And it's never addressed mm -hmm. again for Tuvok mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, mm -hmm. uh, never mind. Yeah. yeah. We needed more scenes of Tuvok staring at his candle and having flashbacks mm. of the Borg Queen. Yeah, because it was it was yeah. really cool again, horror kind of scary moment when he sees his reflection mm -hmm. on the Borg cube and sees yeah, what he looks like, yeah. and that's part of the, like, ooh, what am I now kind of thing. Right. Um, but anyway. Maybe the, it's easier for them because it, it was super temporary. I mean, it was really just for yeah. a little while. He never had to wake up as a Borg. You know, it was just sort of mm. a little bit. I guess it's just kind of, well, I've, I've made my feelings on that idea of the plot right. here. But uh, anyway, um, then, as I said, again, just reinforcing how dumb this plan was when Jane was like, I'm in such pain. I had spinal clamps and everything. If I ever apply, it's easy for you. Seven of nine, remind me of this. And again, I'm like, again, Janeway, you did this. You volunteered, love. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but, uh, 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of nice that we get that line echoed that then uh, seven of nine replies. Oh, uh, I did embrace my feelings for Axum, and if I ever imply he was just a friend, remind me of this, and it's great. Mm -hmm. But again, this yeah. next kind of line really bugs me because she says, uh, I think it's Janeway says, well, we've, we've now just instigated a Borg civil war and the collective may never be the same again, to which I've just written, nope, again, never addressed. <laughs> just completely ignored yeah. going forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just moved on. Yeah. Wasn't there something about and, uh, the Borg? Nope, 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 we're not going to write about it. We're just moving on. Exactly, yeah. But uh, I found the ending to be quite abrupt, but it is a nice little uh, glorious CGI shot of Voyager passing by a sun at the end. So there you go. <laughs> so uh, that's the end of my notes. Did you have anything that you wanted to quickly touch on that we haven't mentioned yet or not? No, I got all my stuff out there. Um, awesome. So we're good. Yeah, I said everything and I, you know, especially I, I, I was that you were going to like Korok. <laughs> oh yeah, you don't definitely. Always like well, the same characters I do, but yeah. Well, that leads what? me to the next section then, because this is something that I'm doing this series because um, I thought it would give us a little okay. bit of interest, which is to ask what you thought was your favorite character from this two-parter. What was your favorite moment, and what was your favorite line? Oh, okay. Well, I I happen to write a note um, right here in my book. Best line of episode: Karak was concerned. Best acting, Tim <laughs> Russ, of course, exclamation mark. So, okay. so somehow I knew. I did not know, but um, yeah. <laughs> That's fair enough. Okay. Um, so yeah. your favorite character was like you? Tuvok for the acting, and that was your favorite line. So did you have a favorite moment as well? or? Um, I think the end when it was uh, when Korok came with the ship, I just mm. think that that was, that was so great. It's sort of like a cheering moment where the crowd can cheer. So I love yes, that. Yeah. Uh, which, again, feeds me perfectly into my answers for that then, because I said that my favorite character in this was Korok. <laughs> my favorite moment was him joining the attack at the end, even though I did like the romance plot, but that moment was just too cool. Uh, and my favorite line of the episode was, I didn't notice any little box on my chair from right at the very start. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, awesome, Hello. awesome. So um, there's just a couple of sections to get to. I do apologize. I won't keep you uh, very much longer. Um, the next bit that I tend to go into is just something that I call Jean's vision, uh, a section where I basically address to the people that keep whinging about how Star Trek moves too far away from Jean's vision, that there's always something there that represents that ideology. And uh, just to ask if you spotted anything in this episode that you think really reinforces these kinds of stuff, Star Trek uh, or Starfleet idealism. You mean like um, the prime directive and stuff? I don't feel like they that was really considered because I mean, Janeway just walked in Chakotay and said, you know, don't say anything. I need you to agree with my plan. So mm. it doesn't seem to me like it was, you know, but it was maybe Gene's vision would have been, hey, um, we help those in need. And yes, that's what that that's exactly you know, point, seven yeah. of nine kind of put that kind of put that in Janeway's face. Hey, it's a distress mm -hmm. call like any other distress call. So aren't you going to do something? I'd yes, say that's that, exactly what, that was the first point I made. Absolutely. And it's just reinforcing what you said. Yeah, we'll always help with the distress call. Um, the, re the reference to valuing all life, even though it's kind of nonsense, I think is very 
sort of ideologically very mm-hmm. gene as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the idea of like Janeway waxing lyrical about individuality and how good Unimatrix Zero is and everything. And obviously the character of Seven of Nine and her path to humanity is an incredibly Gene Roddenberry idea. If you look at like his character of um, Spock and the way that he grows through that journey. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Would, yeah, that's cool. Um, so then, did you have the last part is just to get a conclusion and a score out of five Starfleet com badges or deltas? Um, did you want to go first or would you rather I go first? No, you can go first. Yeah, that's fine. That's probably better because I feel like we'll end on a happier note that way. So there we go. That's funny. Um, <laughs> my conclusion then for this one is just, um, I think it's a mess of a story, unfortunately. Uh, I get the feeling it became focused around what's supposed to be a shocking cliffhanger, even though that's deeply problematic. Uh, attempting to replicate the next generation success, but kind of failing miserably. Uh, there's some good ideas, but they're swallowed by nonsense or rendered pointless in the end. Uh, Unimatrix Zero itself is fascinating, had real potential, and fed into Seven of Nine's development really well, but ultimately it didn't remotely matter, and the Civil War it started is never even addressed again. Um, The character interactions are all good, though, with the Queen Janeway dynamic always played well, uh, but the central voluntary physical assimilation is so dumb and offensive to me, even before Tuvok is fully assimilated, uh, that, yeah, the story isn't unwatchable and it could have been pretty decent with some tweaks Uh, part one is pretty good until the end and there are moments that are great if you enjoy the show and characters Uh, but ultimately it hinges on too many moments that just hit me as silly or illogical and everything is too easily forgotten and kind of forgettable for me Uh, and so I went with a a rather low 1.5 or one and a half out of five score for this episode (laughs) which sounds terrible it sounds like I didn't enjoy it (laughs) <laughs> well, it's definitely watchable because as long as you um, haven't seen a lot of the other Voyager two-parters, this isn't bad. But if you've been mm. through, like, you know, Year of Hell and um, pray, like um, the one with the Herogen, like on the holodecks yeah, yeah, and everything, like if you've been through those, this isn't that great. It doesn't stand out. It does sing for... Uh, Seven of Nine's character. It does bring some Annika yes. stuff out, so I liked it. So I'm going to give it a 2.5. Okay, that's fair enough. Okay, that's a little less than I had thought, but that's fair enough. So um, awesome. So 1.5 and 2.5. Again, the average is uh, pretty easy to work out on that one then. So the overall podcast score for this episode from me and my guest would be 2 out of 5 for Unimatrix Zero, which again, I feel is perhaps a little low. It, uh, it's not an episode that I hated watching and I could watch again anytime. Uh, it's not the worst by any means, but I just think, as you said, comparatively, it's kind of weak for me. Um, but I'm pleased uh, we at least got a chance to discuss it and it gave us plenty to talk about and uh, you enjoyed it, I think. Sure. So, um, oh, awesome. yeah, yeah, definitely fine. You know, but I will just say this. I give the music of this episode like yes. a bunch of stars because that made a huge difference for me. Um, just mm. the music, I think, was great. So, um Kudos to uh, that team, musical team. I would agree. That's why I said there's things in here that's really work because I think the music does. I think the acting mm-hmm. uh, really works in the episode. It does, and the acting. It's just, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. the plotting and the Good. kind of scripting. I think that doesn't hit me very well. But, <laughs> and you know. it does lose a little <laughs> momentum here and there. So yeah, but I would watch yeah. it again. But I've watched it so oh, yeah. much lately. I'm like, well, let's move on to something else. Well, I own it twice because I have the Borg Collective DVD set and the Voyager Season 6 and 7 DVDs. So. 
<laughs> so there you go. Um, uh, anyway, so I, again, I probably won't keep you for very much longer, but I just wanted to finish with my usual final section, which is uh, the interaction with the audience where I put out a message to social media. Uh, and this is the section that I call subspace communications. Incoming transmission. Uh, and so, yes, I just asked... What were your thoughts, feelings, opinions on the two-parter Unimatrix Zero? Uh, I didn't get a ton of responses. I think there's about maybe half a dozen or so. The first one is from at Alex J. Harmon, who says, I thought it was quite interesting. Loved most of it, though would have liked to see how the neurosuppressant worked or what it was. Fair enough. Um, Night Star Fury says, emotionally badass, especially since Catherine Janeway is the only Starfleet captain who can make the Bold Queen snarl her name in revulsion. <laughs> nice. Um, at Starwolf underscore Oakley says, I thought it revealed the Borg's dirty little secret. They assimilate because they like it. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, at Carpinelli03 simply just says, loved it. Um, at Jason underscore JTT Thompson uh, has a little three piece thread here and just says, I remember thinking they undermined their own cliffhanger. Voyager battling the Cuban, the away team being assimilated should have been awesome, but including the scene where Chakotay says all according to plan and withdraws makes it clear there's something going on. Concept-wise, I thought it was excellent and the idea that all the experience with the Borg and Seven allowed them to resist assimilation is logical. Not sure I agree, but okay. Uh, though the mentally disciplined Tuvok being the one to succumb is less so. Uh, and I love the moment when Janeway takes on a Borg drone in Unimatrix Zero with a Batleth and the Queen sees it and recognizes her. Uh, at Ice Tombs of Telos, I'm presuming a Doctor Who fan, says, uh, I enjoyed it but felt like it reduced assimilation from the sheer physical and psychological horror that Picard went through to simply dressing up as the Borg. Neurosuppressant or not, their bodies were still forcefully augmented but was later undone as if nothing happened. That voices a lot of, I think, my concerns with the episode as well. Um, at Nikki Morgan says, A step too far, too emotional and rather silly. Uh, and finally, at Camos Mills, uh, frequent collaborator and responder just says, I like it. It's always nice to see her and then left a gif of the Borg Queen. Uh, so there we go. Mixed, uh, I think mixed response overall to this episode by everyone. But again, not the worst thing Star Trek's ever produced, perhaps. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh. yeah. Not the worst, but once you've watched and done the story, there's so many other excellent things in Star Trek, you know, that you just... Mm. You don't need to ne necessarily go back to it, but it's it's all right the first time. Oh, it's always good to talk Star Trek anyway, especially with uh, like-minded fans, and I've had a really good time talking to you, so that's always Yay, good. good. Um, I so, love all the yeah. feedback you got on Twitter. That's great. I know, yeah. yeah. Well, um, again, thank you so much for joining me. I just have to say that, um, Adrian, it's been a real treat and a real pleasure uh, talking Trek with you, and I'm sorry for keeping you a bit long. <laughs> oh, that's okay. This is really great. I'm so glad, and I feel, you know, more confident. I hope I get to go do other podcasts or come back for, like, a, a, be a guest with another guest maybe someday, talk about okay. some episodes with you if you ever need something like that. Love to. I would be happy to, yeah, happy to have you on again anytime and uh, discuss anything right. Trek-related, but hopefully yeah it's not been too painful or, or nerve-wracking an experience no, for you because i think you've been a good guest so. awesome oh, awesome you. uh do you want to quickly shout out any kind of social medias or any projects that you've got coming up for anyone well sure the only uh social media i have is twitter and i'm a l park like you park your car tucker two so a l park tucker two i follow you so if anybody is interested uh, in following me my twitter stuff is uh expands out though to like um lots of wheel 
wheel of time things on there. So mm. I know you aren't a wheel of time fan, but, um, you know, I'm going to work, see if I can get you to read these books. There's only 14. <laughs> so, Hey, no worries. Um, <laughs> and, um, I talk a lot about Trek, but you know, there's some politics out there too. So if somebody wants to avoid politics, I'm, I'm not the best follow, but I, I have a lot of funny stuff on there. Oh, and there's kittens. <laughs> there we go. That's all people. <laughs> you lost them for a second with the political talk and then kittens, they're right back on. Board. Yes, <laughs> so, kittens. <awesome>. That's great. <laughs> and um, if you don't mind, I will tag you in kind of promotion and stuff for this episode when it goes out oh, so people can follow that to uh, to find you. So I that's great. It. Okay. And, uh, sure. Yeah. Again, thanks for joining me. I've had a very, very good time. And uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime uh, relatively soon. And. Uh, Audience can uh, join me again next week when I will be joined by Phil Hawkins of um, multiple different YouTube and podcasts, including uh, the Red Dwarf Review podcast he was kind enough to have me on. Uh, and we are going to be reviewing the Star Trek Enterprise episode Regeneration next week. So we're still delving deep into the Borg. Um, yes. But until then, from myself and from Adrienne, uh, remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper.